Welcome to The Straight Stitch, a podcast about sewing and other fiber arts. This is episode 22, and my name is Janet Zabo. I'll be your guide as we explore all things sewing. I am just about ready to head off to Sew Expo. Um, I'm going to spend a few extra days in Seattle visiting with my kids. My older daughter and her husband are coming down from Alaska, and my younger daughter lives there, so I'm going to spend some time visiting with them. And then I will head down to Puyallup, Washington, to the Washington State Fairgrounds, and that is where Sew Expo will be held February 29th to March 4th. I'm teaching on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, and Friday afternoon. My Wednesday class is a cabling class. My Thursday class will be on reading knitting charts, and my Friday class will be on knitting lace. So if you are in the area and interested in taking classes, I'd encourage you to go and sign up at the Sew Expo website. I think that this is going to be a really spectacular show. This is their 40th anniversary. They have some special events planned, including a party on Saturday night hosted by Bernina. There is usually a party on Saturday night hosted by Bernina, but it's usually closed to the public. But this year, it's going to be open to everyone. And one of the things that I was working on last week was making myself an outfit to wear to the party. I've been agonizing over this for a couple of weeks, partly because I don't know what the weather is going to be like in Seattle that week. But right now it looks like it's going to be chilly and rainy. So I decided to make myself a five out of four patterns, Nancy Raglan A-line dress using some crush velvet from Minerva.com. I ordered the crush velvet last fall, intending to make myself a Christmas dress, but I ran out of time. So I decided to use it for this party dress, and I love the way it came out. It's a raglan-style A-line dress with a cowl. Um, It fits beautifully. It flows beautifully. I'll probably wear it with a pair of black boots, and I'm excited to have something me made to wear to the party. I've also been pulling out other me-made outfits to wear while I'm teaching. It's a bit ironic that I'm going to be teaching a knitting class or several knitting class classes wearing sweaters that I've sewn on my sewing machine, but there's a method to my madness. This week I'll be packing up all of my supplies. I spent a few hours down in my basement in a room that we call the yarn room where I have probably, oh, two dozen Rubbermaid bins full of yarn in a special storage rack so that I can pull out a single bin at a time. And I was going through those bins looking for uh, garment samples to take with me and also swatches that I need for my classes. And that was a bit of an archaeological dig, and I was a little surprised at the emotional reaction I had to to going through some of that stuff. Um, When I was working on my class handouts last week for my classes, I, I realized that the last time that I've taught most of these classes was 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. And that's a fair bit of time. And 
going back through all those class samples and swatches gave me an opportunity to revisit some of my uh, memories about knitting those items and the yarns that I used and who I was with when I was doing more knit designing and teaching. So that was that was fun. I enjoyed that. I want to mention a new podcast that just started up. In the past, I think I have mentioned the book Fit for Knits by Johanna Lundstrom and Melina Hierpe, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Johanna has a YouTube channel and a website called The Last Stitch. She's the author of several other books, including the fabulous book Master the Cover Stitch, which I also have. And as soon as Fit for Knits came out, I ordered myself a copy and I recommended it to people in my sewing classes and friends of mine, anybody I know who sews with knits. It's an excellent book. Johanna and Melina have started a podcast. It's called Stitch and Tales, and you can find it on YouTube and also on most podcatchers. I believe it's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and probably every other podcatcher out there. They've done two episodes so far, and honestly, I have to give them big props because they're doing a podcast in a language that isn't their native tongue, and I couldn't do that. So um, check it out. They do a great job, and we can all use more great sewing content to listen to. I'm going to jump right into introducing my podcast guest for today's episode because we had such a good time visiting that our interview went for an hour. So I don't want to make this too long. Um, a few months ago, I was looking for something to read one night and I logged into our Kindle account on my iPad and I did a search for fabric just to see what would come up. And this book popped up called Fabric Wars, The Hunt for Vintage Fabric with Etsy's Dodd Oddity. And I thought, this looks interesting. So I started reading it and I was hooked. The book is a collection of vignettes about the author's search for vintage fabric at estate sales and auctions in the Midwest. I got about halfway through the book and I was enjoying it so much that I thought she would make a great podcast guest. So the following morning, I emailed her and asked if she'd be interested. And initially, she seemed a bit reluctant. Um, you'll understand why when you listen to the interview. But we agreed to set up a podcast interview last week, and we had such a good time visiting. Um, I'll let her explain how she got started and some of the interesting characters that she's encountered on her travels. Um, so without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Kira Hartley Klinger, who is the author of Fabric Wars, The Hunt for Vintage Fabric with Etsy's Dodd Oddity. So I'm going to let Kira introduce herself and tell us a little about how she got started and how things are going because she's got some very interesting stories to tell. So welcome to the podcast, Kira. Thank you. I love that you found me. I um, did find I you and it was, I was very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I was glad and I was surprised, you know, 
after I published the book, apparently there's people out there that target self-publishers. And so I would get phone calls and how they got my phone number. I don't know, but I would get phone calls um, and you could tell it was a foreign call center that was calling me and they would say, we would like to take your book to the international film festival and something Mexico and that, 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 And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> and so then I would Google it exactly what they said and it would come back. No, this is, this is a scam or this is a vanity house that is trying to get you to, you know, take your project to them. And so I'd be like, okay, I know it's not real. So then when you messaged me on Etsy, it was the same thing. It was like, okay, <laughs> you know, who are you? It's so you kind of, I should have said, I'm down. not a scammer. I know. Cause it's just, and I've had, I've had a few different messages from Etsy the same way. And I've approached, you know, people who have asked me, would you be interested in possibly doing this or that with the book? And I would, my response would be maybe. So, you know, it wasn't that I didn't have enthusiasm. It's just, I was trying to be really careful. Oh, sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I got started in resale back in 2003. Um, eBay was only eight years old. The internet was only a decade old. So everything was still pretty new. Um, and we didn't have, we didn't have phones at the time where you could look things up as you went. So you kind of had to go off of a gut feeling of what you thought might be worth some money. And it was my sister that first told me that she thought that I, I might be good at, it. you know, we had recently moved from Northeast Ohio to Northwest Ohio. And I always wanted to be around for my kids and be a part of their activities and be available and know what they were up to. Um, because I found myself up to no good many a times when I was growing up. So I wanted to have better eyes on them. So I was always looking for side gigs, how I could make some extra money. And I had uh, taken a job being a sub at the elementary school, which my daughter hated. She hated coming through the cafeteria line and, oh my gosh, there's my mom. You know, she totally did not even acknowledge me, but it was good. Um, so then my sister said, you know, you really ought to try this eBay thing. I bet you would be good at buying and selling. I was like, oh gosh, I don't know. So the very first thing that I did, I I went to the, the local JCPenney's and I bought about 20 pairs of baby shoes that were on clearance. And I was like, okay, let's try this. I took them all back home and I listed them for a little bit more than what I bought them for. And after a few weeks when I hadn't sold any, I'm like, well, this is dumb. And I took them all back to the store and I got my money back. So I'm like, all right, what's next? So eventually I started to go to auctions and I had a good friend of mine. Um, she actually was the boss in the cafeteria at the school and she liked auctions too. We both loved finding a good deal. And that was a big part of it too. I love garage sales. I love thrift stores. I absolutely love finding a good deal and reusing something that's already out there. And quite frankly, getting something of better quality than what you can buy today. So we started going to this one auction house and it would take place on Friday nights and we would go there and just start buying stuff. And I had no idea what I was buying, but if it sold for a couple dollars, I was game. And, you know, I, I, I started making weird money on weird things. And so that kind of hooked me, you know, I spent $2 on an old projector that sold for 150, 
But it was one of those things. eBay was fun back then. People like to bid on things, but people don't like to bid anymore. This is an instant gratification generation, and they would much rather buy it now than waste their time bidding. Um, so it's changed a lot. It's evolved a lot. Um, but yeah, at some point, I stumbled across fabric that went really cheap. Um, and so I started to get curious and I took it home and I tried to figure it out and I tried to analyze it because I just, I really did not know that much about fabric at all. Um, and so all of a sudden I started to get, I can't say really say all of a sudden, but eventually as my inventory grew on, on eBay, I was on eBay initially with the fabric. Um, I started to get a lot of people from overseas that started to buy the fabric at the time, international shipping was, it, it was reasonable. It's not like it is now. And I had customers in Japan and Australia and lots of different countries that said, we just cannot get this kind of quality fabric over here. And so they were buying stacks of it at a time. I could get these flat rate padded envelopes and I can still use those, but I could get 11 yards of fabric stuffed in one of those envelopes. And at the time it cost like $16 to send it overseas. Now I think that envelope is somewhere around 35 or $40. It's gone up quite a bit. Um, but you know, it's the problem started to come on eBay because at some point, a lot of fabric from China appeared and it appeared very inexpensively and it had free shipping. And the reason why they were able to do this, there is an old trade agreement that our government made with China before the Internet was even a thing to ship. They could they paid X amount of dollars a year and they could their country could ship anything up to a pound for free. And it was trying to encourage correspondence with China and the United States, trying to encourage communication between the two countries. Um, but what happened when the Internet evolved was that all of a sudden, everything that weighed under a pound was fair game for this free shipping, which is, is in part why a lot of our postal rates have climbed so much and why the post office has been so so far back in debt. I mean, this has really hurt them. Um, so anyway, this cheap fabric that shipped for free started to appeal to a lot of the eBay buyers looking for fabric. Um, and it, it became the audience that I didn't want anymore because I wasn't selling cheap fabric. I was selling something that was vintage and something that was out of print and something that was a better quality than what was available today. But that the group of people on eBay just really kind of started to care about the price. And so I started to feel like I needed to try something different. And that's when I switched over to Etsy. Um, and I, con I continued with the eBay as far as buying and selling everything else because, you know, I'm still hooked. 20 years later, I can't go to an auction and look at something and say, I can turn that around and make money on it and walk away. I can't do it. I'm still hooked on it. So I'm still running both stores. Um, I tried to run two different stores in 2018 and it, it was too much. So I, I'm sorry, I think it was 2015. So I had to step away. And then a few years later, I tried it again. And this time I'm like, okay, Etsy is just going to be fabric. That's it. And I pulled all my fabric off of eBay and separated the two stores. 
Um, and then what happened, you know, I've, I've been writing my whole life. It's all I ever wanted to do. Um, I just couldn't make money on it. I needed something that paid the bills, which is what got me into resale. So, you know, I, I, I went over to Etsy and it just started to happen where I started to tell stories on my Etsy pages. And I started to talk about where the fabric came from. And if I knew anything about the estate, I would talk about the the person that owned the fabric and what he or she liked to make or do with the fabric. Um, if I didn't know anything about the estate, there was always something funny going on, either with the competition or the auctioneers. There was always something ridiculous that I just had to tell somebody. And I think that my husband was just, you know, he, he's heard all the stories and he was there for a lot of the sales. So I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I know. And so it's like, okay, I got to tell somebody because this stuff is just too good. And so I did. I started telling the stories on Etsy and I started to get messages from people that said, you really, really, really need to write a book. These stories are great. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When am I going to find the time to do that? I mean, there's just not enough time in my day. And after several years, I finally was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so I would get up early in the morning and I would just start putting the stories together and I'd spend the first two hours of my day writing. And it was like back to the beginning in my early years when I would do that when my kids were small, I did that before they would get up. I would get up and I would do my writing. That was my peace time. Um, so yeah. So a year later, there's the book and here we are. That's so cool. So I need to ask you <clears throat> before we talk about the book, let's can I ask you how you came up with the name for your Etsy store, which is Dot Oddity? It is Dot Oddity. And, okay. you know, the name, the name for my eBay store is Lillian Helene. And that store is named after my grandmother. And there is, there's always one person in the family that is the glue. And she was the glue. And so she was a huge loss when we lost her. And, um, you know, the, the, there's another name that goes with my store. It's called Moner's Closet. And that's what we called her when we were growing up. We called her Moner. And she had a closet in her bedroom that no matter what you needed, it was in that closet. It didn't matter if it was a pair of socks or a pair of slippers or a sweater or who knows. If you wanted it and needed it, it was in her closet. So I kind of said, okay, th this is my eBay store. So then when I opened up the Etsy store, um, my grandfather on my dad's side, because Lillian, Lillian Helene is actually Lillian Helena. She was the grandmother on my mother's side. So my grandfather on my father's side, we called him Dodd. And he was um, very ingenious. And he liked to work with what he had to try to make something out of it. He was very thrifty. Uh, he had no problem buying tools at the dollar store. Uh, we tell stories about him that he ran his Christmas lights outside on an indoor extension cord. Um, he picked us up from the airport one time and he presented me with a straw souvenir hat that he probably got somewhere on his many journeys. And he had taken a shell necklace and wrapped it around the hat and he had used bread ties to attach it. And he had one for me and he had one for my daughter. So, I mean, he just, he, he, he was a nut, but he was awesome. And you just never knew what he was going to come up with or what he had or what he recycled or what he reused or what he repurposed. Um, 
you know, he just was great. And so it just popped out in my head one day. I'm like, you know what? Dot oddity. It, it is what it is. It's. And, and here we are. There's nothing off limits for my store. I have learned over the years. I've kind of let my audience guide me on what they want. Um, I did not used to sell scraps. Lord knows I had scraps because every quilter, every crafter, every person that has fabric has scraps because we save every teeny tiny little piece because someday we're going to use it. And, you know, I think this goes way back. Some of the fabric that I buy sometimes comes in these tight little rolls that were rolled up back in 1920 something and then pinned closed. And so you open up this little log of scraps. It's been rolled up for a hundred years and you, and it's just, full of every single piece that was left over from whatever dress or apron or anything that that individual had made. So these scraps used to kind of get stuffed in, in, in my barn. It's like, ah, what am I going to do with these scraps? I can't, what am I going to list a little piece of fabric? Who's going to buy a little piece of fabric? And then start, people started to ask me, do you sell scraps? I was like, huh, I can. And so all <laughs> of a sudden I started pulling them together and bagging them up and just today, I filled a special order. Somebody had messaged me and said, somebody on my Facebook group told me that you sell great scraps at a great price and I need scraps. I'm making this, this quilt and I need more darks like navy blue and black and I need more pastels. And so I'm like, okay. So I put together a one pound bag and it's like, all right, there you go. Um, so they guide me, you know, I they're, I go to auctions sometimes. I sell quilts on eBay. I absolutely love quilts and I love the ones that are hand stitched. But sometimes you will come across a quilt that is so tattered and so loved that nobody really wants to put it on their bed anymore. So those quilts end up in a trunk or in a bag or somewhere collecting dust because it's, it's too precious to throw away, but nobody wants to reuse it. So... I have started taking these quilts and I've started to cut them up. And there is a huge audience that loves to buy these pieces and make things out of them. And it's like the quilt gets to live 20 new lives in 20 new homes. And I, sometimes the quilts are really hard for me to cut because I know how much work goes into one of them. But at the same time, it's getting a second chance at life, you know? So, but yeah, nothing's off limits. I think that your grandfather would be very proud of you. Oh, well, I certainly hope so. You know, I wish he were here to see it. And that sounds like the perfect name for your store. Just a so, little bit of everything. Let's let's talk a little bit about your book. Your book has lots of stories. 33. From all the different auctions that you've been to. It was very entertaining. Um, I've been to quite a few auctions when we lived back east. We don't, they don't have those kinds of things out here in Montana. But when we lived back east, I used to go to those auctions. And so I was imagining in my mind, the the kinds of, of things that you were running into. Um, so maybe talk about Krabby Patty, and some uh -huh. of the other characters that, that you have um, so skillfully illustrated through your stories. Um, the Midwest is a hotbed for hoarders, and I don't know why that is. I am on my way to becoming one myself. 
I keep promising my kids I will not die a hoarder, but it is not looking good. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know what it is. There are a lot of multi-generation farms out here and families and people just hang on to stuff. And so we just have so much more access to things like that. And I have friends that live all over and um, I people down south say, we don't find those things. You're in Montana. You don't find those things. It's it's a Midwest thing, you know, with and there's a lot of us here that are doing it. There is competition. It's it's thick. Um, and we all know each other. We all harass each other. Um, it's all it's all fun. It really is. Do we get aggravated sometimes? Yes. Do we take it to heart? No. I mean, we're back to teasing each other and picking on each other the next time we see each other. And it's always kind of been my opinion that if you cannot be lighthearted about it and, and not take it so seriously, that maybe you're in the wrong profession. And Krabby Patty was in the wrong profession. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know what happened with Krabby Patty. Um, she came out of nowhere. I am very used to having competition from uh, women that quilt. It's typically women that are older than me. Um, they're there looking to get a good deal. And yes, I feel badly that they don't get many good deals if I'm there. Um, but you know, I don't know, I guess some things you have to get past when you're running a business and that's one of mine. So this is an auction house that I go to quite a bit and, um, they advertised fabric and it's always kind of questionable when an auctioneer advertises fabric. Most of them have no idea what fabric is, cloth is, what double knitted is quilting cotton. It's just, in fact, they don't even call it fabric. They call it material and material could be anything. It could be a box full of curtains and a pillowcase and a yard of fabric, or, you know, you just don't know. And so you show up with your fingers crossed, especially because I usually have to drive at least an hour to get there. Uh, this sale was massive. It had, gosh, there were at least eight, eight foot tables that were stacked high with boxes crammed full of, and I'm talking boxes that were probably 15 cubed packed with fabric and underneath the tables, more fabric and lined across the floor, rolls and rolls of batting and interface and, and polyfill and everything that any crafter or quilter could possibly want. And then on the other side of the room were even more tables of buttons and beads and, and boxes to organize them in and patterns and you name it. She was into all of it. Um, and this was something where her estate had to be moved from her house because it was so massive. They could not, could not conduct it in her house. And there were going to be two sales because it wasn't enough to get it done in one day. So of course I walk in and it's like, Oh, you know, there's all this <laughs> fabric, you know? And, and the first thing you do is you kind of look around who's here because you start to recognize people along the way. And of course they definitely start to recognize you. And, um, it's common that I hear groans, Oh God, she's here, you know, and that, you know, it's okay. It's all good. Um, but I really, I, I don't really worry about it. I have a, a game plan. I know what I'm doing. I get in there and I try to establish myself. And, you know, by the time the auction started, 
I was ready. I I'm front and center. I want to make sure that I am seen. I want to make sure he knows that I'm there. I'm not a very big person. I'm only five, five and it's easy to not see me. So I am usually standing in close proximity to the auctioneer. And usually after the first or second bid, he has my number memorized. Um, I'm, I'm obnoxious. I've seen people say I didn't, that you didn't see my bid and I don't want to be that person. So typically when I get in there, I want the first bid, no matter what, no matter what I have to pay, I need that first bid so that people understand that I'm here to play. And then the second time around when the bidding starts and I'm bidding and they're bidding they're like, well, I know where we're going to end up, forget it. And then sometimes they bow out early. Sometimes this strategy works. Sometimes it doesn't. So this woman appears out of nowhere. I have no, I've never seen her in my life ever. And she is calm and casual, and she is bidding against me. At $50, everybody else is backed out. She's still going. At $100, she's still going. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get this first bid. I think I got it finally at about $150. And of course, the auctioneer is stunned because he did not even expect that the fabric was going to get $5. It was not even the headlines of the sale. It was the secondary. Oh, and we have all this fabric. So <laughs> it's choice out on the table. And he's hoping, of course, that I'm going to take five, six, seven, eight boxes. And I'm like, nope, it's going to be one. I don't know which one, but I have to pick one. I have to pick one that I think she wants. And so I just guessed. I really had no idea. They were all good, but I... $150 good? I don't know. So I just picked one. Bidding starts again. Here's the auctioneer. Now he's a little full of himself. He's got the bid at 50 now instead of five where he started the first time. Now we're starting at 50. And it gets down to Krabby Patty and I just right away because nobody else just wants in at 50. They've already maintained that. No, at 50, I'm done. And that's kind of the way the rest of the auction went. And nobody else bought a single box. It was me or her, me or her the whole time. And they were going anywhere between $100 and $200 a box. And my head is spinning. And the auctioneer has, has these helpers. I call them the henchmen that, that help in these situations because they don't want the bidders to walk away from the table to move their box. So these henchmen are grabbing our boxes and moving them here and moving them there and, and, and this wall and that wall. And I am trying to watch where my fabric is going because I don't think that they really care about the money that I've spent as much as I care about the money that I've just spent. So finally, the, the fabric round is over and there are two enormous piles of fabric on two different sides of the wall. And I just, I'm in disbelief. I was like, okay, I need to breathe. They go over to the yarn. I have never gotten involved in yarn. So I stepped back. Krabby Patty went to the yarn and started buying all the yarn. I'm walking around looking at the different piles, making sure that what's mine is mine and what's hers is hers. And I walked past her pile and I did not touch anything. I know better than that. You know, when my husband goes to the sales with me, we always joke about my big pile and how when he's there, he can bulldog anybody that comes over to try to look at my stuff. That's that's bought and paid for, you know, mind your business. And so I don't have that situation, but I know better than to touch somebody else's stuff. It's 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 a code. It's ethics at an auction. But I can look. So I'm looking at her stuff and out of nowhere, I hear, hey, from across the room. And everybody turns and looks at her 
and then looks to see where she's looking, which of course is at me. And I'm just standing there with my hands in my pockets. And she says, I don't appreciate that. And I was like, appreciate what? I haven't done anything. So I just kind of walk away and I was just like, I was just looking, you know, and I go back and I sit down with the ladies that are in the circle and they're already disgruntled because they didn't buy anything. And they're no longer really mad at me because I'm just kind of looking scorned as well. And we're just now we're a group, you know, and she's (laughs) off doing her thing. And she bought so much that day, so much that day. She bought everything. Nobody could buy anything. Wow. And I've, I, I've seen this before. I have seen people come into auctions that I've never seen before and drop ridiculous money and then they disappear. And, you know, I, I, I've heard rumors about some of these people that they think it's a good way to invest money that they've come into and they just crash and burn. And I just kept thinking that day, man, I hope that's what happens to her. I cannot have her show up at all my sales. Um, so of course, you know, that's, that's one of the stories in the book and honest Abe follows on Krabby Patty's heels because it's part two of that sale. And of course she's there. Um, there's a little bit of twists and turns that are different from the first one, but she's absolutely there. And it's absolutely as stressful and as expensive as the first one. Um, I can happily say that it's been a few years. I have not seen Krabby Patty again. Uh, yeah, I still look for her though. I still have dreams the night before a big fabric sale. I'm like, oh my gosh, is she going to be there? I really hope not. <laughs> but she's out there somewhere and she has a tremendous stash of fabric. <laughs> it, it does make you wonder what she did with all that fabric. Oh my goodness. I, you know, and there is another individual. There are these sales and they are everywhere. And they call them estate sales. They advertise them as estate sales. They advertise them as garage sales. And you go, and what it is, is it is a very expensive garage sale slash estate sale. It is run by companies that outbid auctioneers for the service of disposing of an estate. And so what they do is that they break this estate down and they price it just below what people can expect to get on the internet or to get in resale. So there's really not a lot of meat on the bone, but they're trying to price it just below. So people say, oh, well, that's cheaper than I got it on the internet. They're trying to appeal to the collectors, but it does nothing for me. Um, And so I've gotten suckered into a few of these sales because of their clever advertising. And then you get there and it's like, oh, it's one of those sales. So that was the case in a garage sale that advertised a tremendous amount of fabric. And I had gone to this sale and there was indeed a tremendous amount of fabric. And um, it was all priced right around the price of what you would expect to pay at Joanne Fabrics. And she was selling it by the yard. And nobody at garage sale sells fabric by the yard. You know, they roll it up, they put a piece of masking tape on it and they put a price on it. She was selling it by the yard and she had a cutting table set up and everything. So I thought to myself, okay, she is in rural Ohio. She is 15 minutes away from Joanne fabrics. And she thinks that she's going to sell out of this fabric over a three day garage sale weekend. When I sell all over the world and would not sell that much fabric 
in a weekend. It was a tremendous amount. So I approached her with the intent to give her my name. And I said, you know, at the end of this sale, if you have anything left, I would be interested in making you a bulk offer to take it off. And she laughed at me. And she says, oh, no, 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 no. She says, this is not over this weekend. I have 60 more plastic totes of fabric from this estate and another 120 boxes of fabric from this estate. And uh, she said, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to sell it all. I was like, okay. Wow. And so I know. And so, you know, I left the sale and I'm thinking to myself, how did she get so lucky? How did she find this person that had almost 200 boxes of fabric? How did she find her and where can I find her? You know, so I kind of had that on my brain for a while. And I started looking at garage sales a little more closely. Um, I don't go to garage sales as often as they did when I was younger, but I started to look at them. I'm like, I need to figure out how she found that much fabric. And we have these community garage sales in our neighborhood once a year. And there was a, and, and I didn't really look specifically for fabric. I was just walking the sales, talking to people. And I happened upon this sale, very, very modest sale, very little things for sale. Uh, old sale, garage sale prices, 10 cents a quarter, you know, odds and ends. It was just, and it was a little old lady sitting in the middle of the garage, just a big smile on her face, happy to see people, happy to have the company. And um, she had this stack of linens on the table and they were very brightly colored uh, wraps from other countries. And I asked her about them because at the time I was on the quilt guild for the church. And three months out of the year, I decorated the altar. I'm sorry, not the quilt guild, the altar guild. I said that wrong. Anyway, three months out of the year, I decorated the altar. And uh, I have tremendous flower gardens all over the place, all over my property. And so my big thing, my big claim to fame when it was my turn was that I got the spring and summer months and you were going to get fresh flowers, you know, every Sunday. And so I was always looking for pretty runners and pretty things that I could put on the altar. And these like fit the bill. And so I asked her, I says, well, what do you want for these? And she says, oh, a dollar a piece. Okay. I took them all. There were six. I took all of them. And so then I was just picking around, looking around. And in the back corner of a table, there was a box of fabric. And there were a lot of older pieces in the fab in, in there. There was pieces from the sixties and pieces from the seventies. Really. I love that era. I love anything, anything twenties through fifties are my favorite, but sixties and seventies get me too. And so there was a lot of odds and ends in this and that. And so I asked her, I said, well, what about the fabric? And she says, Oh, well, 25 cents a piece. So I start, and, and there were pieces in there that were several yards. So I'm making a stack. And I think I had, you know, I don't know. I, I think I had, 12 pieces. It wasn't a lot. And so I brought them out and she says, oh, since you're buying the wraps, you can have the fabric for free. And I was like, absolutely not. You know, I've got like $10 worth of stuff here. You, you know, no. And there was a poster on her wall, a faded poster of all these children, uh, tan skin. You could tell that they were from another country. And I had asked her, I said, you know, I inquired about the poster. She goes, well, everything I sell today, goes to Tanzania. She says, those, those kids are from an orphanage in Tanzania. Um, and that's where my money goes. And so I was like, okay. 
So I wished I had more than the $10 left in my pocket to give her, but I gave it to her. And so I asked her, I said, do you have more fabric that you want to sell? And she says, oh, do I have fabric? I have lots of fabric. I said, you do really? And so, um, you know, of course, the lady at the other garage sale, garage sale guru, she's going through my brain. I'm like, this is it. This is my stash. I just, her basement's probably stuffed full of boxes and boxes of fabric. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm in, I'm the only one here. And, and she had a woman there that was helping her. And she said, you know, I can help her bring them out and put them out for the sale tomorrow. I says, oh, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I will come back on another day when she has time and we'll go through it. So that was the plan. I left her my phone number. So I drive past her street all the time, coming and going. And two weeks goes by and I still haven't heard from her. And I'm like, man, what is up with the fabric? So I was like, I'm just going to stop. So I did. I went, I knocked on her door, took her a while. She shows up, has this, a walker. She's tiny little thing. And I said, do you remember me? She says, I do. She says, I lost your phone number. Come on in. And so I did. And so I go in and I sit on her couch and her, her home is so sparse. Um, she has religious prints on the wall and a couple of pieces of furniture and there's no TV and just, she is so modest in her living. And, you know, I'm just looking around. It's just like, wow. And so she disappears in the back bedroom. I'm waiting. And I'm thinking to myself, she's using a walker. How in the world is she going to carry out boxes of fabric? So I'm starting to wonder a little bit. So eventually she comes out and then she has two grocery sacks, one in each hand, full of fabric. And she sets them down. She goes, here you go. So of course, immediately my balloon is deflated. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going through the fabric and we start to talk. And she starts to talk about Tanzania. And this is a woman who at 70 years old went with a friend to Tanzania. And it was her first time taking a trip like that. And she became so inspired and so aware of the need there for an orphanage. And so she went back home and she kept mulling it over in her head. And she kept thinking, I just really need to do this. And at one point she said, God spoke to me. And he said, if you don't do this, who will? And she has tears in her eyes when she's telling me this, you know, and here I am sitting there sorting through her, her two bags of fabric, which she felt was an abundance. And I came in disappointed, you know, and I'm listening to her talk and I'm listening and it just, it just leveled me out so much. It centered me like instantly. And so this woman returned to Tanzania every year until she was like 80 years old. She kept going back until her body just said, I can't do it anymore. And so instead what she did was she just started giving everything she had, all of her money, everything she sold. It just all went there, but she did. She established this orphanage. It's still there. Um, and she just, she just did great things. And so, you know, I, I think I gave her 20 bucks for the two bags of fabric. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a lot of money. I wanted to give her more. Um, it was probably, it was just this past year. So it was probably two years later. We have a mutual friend and this friend runs the food pantry in town. And um, my husband and I started two missions in our town about 10, 12 years ago. We help put 
families in need together with sponsors in the community at Christmas time and at back to school time. And um, we started this angel tree and uh, this woman that ran the food pantry, she was the one who made the forms available to the families. And then eventually the senior citizens, because we now also match sponsors with senior citizens at Christmas time to help them get what they need. Um, so this was my connection. And this woman went to the Lutheran church with the woman that volunteered or that did her work with Tanzania. So they knew each other. And so I had called this woman on the way home and I said, I just met your friend Marge and what a lady, you know? And she said, that's so funny. I just talked to her and she just said, I just met the most amazing person. And I did not tell her at the time what I wanted the fabric for. I kept it from her because I was embarrassed. You know, I was embarrassed that I was going to make a profit off of what she was trying to do for a mission. Um, so she, she became a story because uh, she greatly inspired me. She reminds me what's important in life. Um, and I found out about three, four months ago that she was in hospice. My friend, our mutual friend told me she was in hospice. And I had this need to not only tell her that I wrote a book and she was in it, but I wanted her, I wanted to confess. It's like, I wanted her to know why I wanted her fabric, you know? So my husband and I said, I said, I need to go see her. And so we did, we went to um, the home where she was in hospice. And it's so funny. Our mutual friend was there visiting her too. And um, so I went in and I said, do you remember me? And she goes, of course I remember you. She says, you just have an unforgettable face. And so I said, um, I wrote a book. I said, and you're in it. And she said, I am. I said, you are. And she said, why? I said, well, I said, you inspired me. And I said, you know, and I have a confession to make. And so I told her and she, she was great about it, you know, and, and she just, she just was happy at her end that the fabric found a home and that she was able to make that small donation to her orphanage. And so I said, you know, I would like to read you your chapter in the book if I can. And so this was the first time that I've ever done a reading. She was my first official reading. So she gets, you know, she gets her little electric button. She wants to sit up in her bed for this. And I'm scooched in close to her bed and she puts herself all the way up in the bed and she's leaning forward and she's just like a foot away from my face, just staring at me intently. I'm like, oh boy. Okay. So I got through the chapter, really wished I had a glass of water at some point, but I got through the chapter and she just watched me read the whole time. And she was just like, wow. And she said, is that book for me? And I said, Oh, I said, I, I, this one's my copy. It's really ratty. I says, I promise I'll bring you a copy. And she said, you know, I just always wondered. She said, did I do enough? Have I done enough in this life? And I said, Oh, Marge, I said, you have done that and more. You have done so much. She says, but how do I know? You know, and I said, well, you know, because I'm here, I'm telling you, I'm witnessing you are in my book and everybody who reads it is going to know, you know, so she's, she's one of my more, she's one of my more special. Yeah. Encounters. That's a beautiful story. 
you know, and, and, and my grandfather, when he was dying, he, he was the same way. And he was a very great man, a giving man, a, a kind man. And he had the same questions at the end. Did I do enough? You know, and it's just, it, it, it just seems to be the people who inspire me that have those questions. And it just, I don't know. It, it centers me. It, yeah, she's a great soul. So I did, she died before I could take a book to her. Um, I went to her service and I gave it to the family. And I just wrote above her chapter, yes, Marge, you did enough. And, you know, and I presented it to the family. And I said, you know, this is my gift. Here you are. And, and I'd never met them before either. You know, I met her twice in my life, but it's sometimes it's those people that stick with you it's for better, really for amazing. worse. I met Krabby Patty twice too. The little, <laughs> you know? so, the little ripples that go out. Yes, it is. It's a great journey. Wow. So can you talk a little bit about your customers? I, I know you get feedback from your customers. Why are they buying your fabric? Are they trying to finish quilts that maybe a family member had started? Are they looking for particular designers? Are they? I get all kinds. I do get customers that are looking for um, the quality that used to be. That's 100% a thing. Uh, fabric nowadays is not made the same that it was even 25 years ago. And um, so that that's one of my customer base. I have people that are big fans of certain eras because it resonates with them. There's a lot of people that really like the eighties because maybe they, they had a dress or something that was made of this fabric. And I've had people say, Oh my gosh, I haven't seen this fabric since I was a kid. I've been looking for it. It just brings back such good memories. Um, I have people that resurrect quilts. Um, and, and I try to encourage people all the time to share with me what they've made. And some do, some will post pictures, some will send me pictures privately, but there are a lot of people that um, do, do crafts and sewing that they turn around and sell. And so they're not very eager to share their ideas. You know, they don't want to get copied. So I'm always curious. I'm always prodding people, please show me what you make. Cause I want to see it. You know, um, I sell quite a bit of uh, upholstery fabric scraps. I, I bought out the samples from a store that went out of business and I have regular customers that buy them by the stacks. And I'm like, I want to know what you do with them. Come on, something, anything. And they just, they just keep buying. So I know they're happy, but I really want to know what they're making. You know, same with all the cutter quilt pieces. They're delighted to get them. It's like, okay, but show me, you know, it's like, this is show and tell, but they're just, a lot of them are very secretive. So um, I know that I'm doing something right when they come back again, I have many return customers. Um, and I, and I have solid five-star reviews across the board. So these are things that tell me I'm doing something right. Uh, and, and I have to go with that, you know, but yeah, I would like to see more what people make with these things. Cause I offer anything and everything, I will throw it out there. And if nobody buys it, I'll like, okay, well, nobody's reusing that and I'll find something else for it. But I really, really try to reuse, recycle, repurpose, um, upcycle is a big word right now, but those kind of have become core values of my shop. And this generation 
has become conscious about doing those things too. Uh, and they like the idea of reusing what is already out there instead of adding to the pile, you know? Um, and, you know, honestly, I, I mean, I, I have an abundance. I listen to your podcast about abundance and uh, I have abundance for what I do, but, you know, I have, I have abundance of shoes. So <laughs> that's kind of my hang up. And, um, and they're good shoes They're I buy quality shoes and it has been a problem my whole life. I did not start to buy quality until after my kids were grown because all my money went to them and to what they needed. This husband that I have doesn't help any because I will show him a really nice pair of boots at a really great price. And he will say, Oh, you should just buy them. And it, you know, most husbands would say, honey, you have 35 pairs in every color imaginable. You do not need another pair of boots. But no, he says, well, just buy them. And so I've gotten to the point where I have a number of shoes that I just can't see adding to. I just can't justify it. So what I end up doing is I end up selling a pair to buy a pair. You know, and I buy good enough boots that I can do that. They're desirable. And they're when you have that many pairs of shoes, how many times a year do they get worn? So they're all in really great shape. But I justify myself because <laughs> there is this absolutely fabulous, uh, and I hate to call it fabulous because of what it is, but there is a youth homeless shelter in Dayton. And my husband and I have been giving partners with Bomba socks for the last five or six mm -hmm. years. And so we find homes for roughly 5,000 pairs of socks every year. One year we took a field trip down to this youth center because we wanted to donate socks to this youth shelter. So we had 600 pairs of socks in our car and this shelter is outstanding. It is four floors of housing for homeless youth. It is not a cot on a floor in a gymnasium. It is four floors and, and people that they take in that have been thrown out of their homes or that are homeless for any reason. I am a astonished at how many homeless youth there are out there, but they give them their own room. They give them an education. When they get old enough, they give them job training. They have a, uh, a organic dog cookie bakery on the premises and they sell the dog cookies online. Um, and that is oftentimes these youth's first job. Um, they get them out into the job force. They do job training. They help them land a job. When they get old enough, they find apartments outside of the shelter. I mean, they just help them. They help them live and thrive. It's not just a place to sleep. So ever since we went there, I told my husband, I said, when I die, give them my shoes so that when those girls go for job interviews, their feet look amazing. You know, That's so it's fabulous. like, okay, there is a purpose for my abundance. It is right. going to go somewhere someday. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. But, yeah. So you're working on your second book? In my brain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there sure you have all... enough stories to fill five or six books, but there are already six or seven new since Fabric Wars 1. And so in in it's the same auctioneer from Krabby Patty. And I'm in a series of six auctions. No, I'm sorry. It's a series of four or five auctions right now, all from the same estate. 
And this individual, well, I guess it was a couple, they, oh my gosh, hoarders to the max. You could not get through the front door. They said the whole house was floor to ceiling and it's all mid-century modern. It's all vintage. It's all art deco. And what I am going after primarily is all the bark cloth and the linen from the 1950s and the 1960s. It is the most fabulous fabric on the planet. Um, <laughs> the very first sale, I do not know what the auctioneer was thinking. He held it out of a warehouse space with an overhead door and he did not want people to be milling about on the inside because he did not want people knocking over all of these art deco things and mid-century lamps and there just was so many breakable collectible things and he says we're going to conduct this auction outside okay not a big deal i go to outside auctions all the time however this day it was five degrees with a wind chill of minus 20 and nobody was dressed for it because we all thought it was inside did that cut down on the competition <sighs> you know it doesn't it doesn't because the people that are serious about it stay and so there were probably 30 of us and I really had to pay up for the boxes. We were there for seven hours. Wow. And at one point, the woman that was bidding me up the entire time, she just looked at her husband. She says, why are we here? I'm done. I'm just done. Let's just go. Because she had not won anything, you know, and there was another woman there that had shown up in leggings and a sweat jacket and a baseball cap. And, you know, her ankles were showing. And I, and I, my husband had told me last minute, put hat gloves and a blanket in the car. Hold, if we break down, you'll be happy. We have those things. Okay. So I had a blanket. And so I looked at the woman and I said, you know, I, I have another blanket in the car. I said, it's, it's my dog's blanket. And she goes, I don't care. I'll take <laughs> it. And she says, what kind of dogs? She, <laughs> So she's wrapped in the dog blanket and, and we toughed it out. And, you know, and I said to the auctioneer, I'm like, what are you thinking? Where's the tent and the heaters, you know? So the second auction, the third auction, the fourth auction, those are all within his facility, same facility where Krabby Patty is. So we've had two auctions now. You cannot walk through my house right now. It, there is a very slim pathway. There is so much stuff in here right now. And I'm trying to get ready for the next one on Thursday. So it's, yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> but there are lots of stories already in the process, just finding the time to do it. And and you do all the work to get everything ready for your, to selling your store. Yes. It's, so that, it's that must long, be a huge job. It's very long days. And I tell my husband, I'm like, what were we thinking? What was I thinking? Because he just, he just backs me up all the way. He, yeah, he's the right guy and the wrong guy all at the same time. It's like, sometimes you, maybe you should be putting your foot down. <laughs> enough. But if I see fabric, I can't stop. And I've got a garage full. I could, I could honestly quit buying fabric and I could be listing it for the next probably six months consistently and not run out. I've got a lot. Sure. But, but it's, you know, yeah, the customers the like hunt. to see. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and that's a big part of it is it's the thrill of the hunt and it's what story am I going to tell? And there's just too many wrapped into one. Um, you know, and then I have <laughs> the woman who illustrated the cover of the book is one of my closest friends. And we have been friends 
since my boys were small. She uh, started out the district manager for the newspaper route that my boys wanted to do so that they could earn some money. Uh, you know, so for, for five years, my boys and I would get up at five o'clock in the morning before school and deliver 200 newspapers. And so this is how I got to meet this woman. And through a course of really ironic events, we have followed each other as we've moved, you know, um, and she got into painting late in life. She got into painting probably in the 50s and found out that she was really good at it. Uh, and so she stepped up as soon as she found out about the book. She goes, I want to do the cover. And so obviously that's supposed to be me on the cover because I'm like, you know, hoarding the fabric. Sure. Um, so since the book in she really, really, really wants to illustrate a children's book. And ironically, my mother has been after me to write children's books. We have uh, eight grandchildren. We have a farm. Um, we have a, a, a huge pond that is full of fish and an old pontoon boat with a water slide on it. And, you know, we have ducks and chickens that they hatched from eggs and horses and they come for a week every year and the adventures that we have at camp clinger i apparently are are story worthy because my mother has been telling me every year you need to write stories for children about camp clinger and so between her and my friend who did the cover I am kind of locked into having to do a children's book I think before she will illustrate the cover for fabric wars 2 so <laughs> I'm going to try to squeeze that out <laughs> in all my spare time. <laughs> oh, it's but, good to be know, busy. Yeah, it is good to be busy. I sleep. I sleep well by the time I go to bed. <laughs> well, I have Usually. really, I have really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm going to be looking, I will put myself on a list so that when Fiber, Fabric Wars 2 comes out, I will be one of the first ones to get it because the stories in Fabric Wars 1 were very entertaining. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I had yeah. a lot of fun writing it. Um, little nervous about the auction crew companies reading it. I did finally fess up and, and tell one auctioneer that he's in it. And I think he bought the book last weekend. So <laughs> we will see. I honestly have to believe in my heart of hearts that this, this, if it were me, I would be enticed to want to go to an auction. So that's what I'm going to, I'm going to go with, you know, and I maintain that if you don't have a sense of humor in this business, you don't belong in it. So laugh with me as I am laughing at you. There you go. <laughs> And, and I'm, I will check out your Etsy store because you mentioned double knit. And I just think that looking for 1970s double knit. <laughs> I have some. Yeah. I have some. And I cannot tell you how much double knit I have given away over the years because for the longest time, nobody wanted it. Right, right. And so I would go to these auctions. And I would get boxes of fabric and I'd pluck out all the quilting fabric and all the fabric that I liked. And I would say, you want, you want this? You can have it. Take it. You know, I gave away so much double knit. And now the funky double knit people want. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm back to looking for double knit, but I don't have that much in my shop right now. I, I have a lot of quilting fabric and 
and blends and things like that. I have a tremendous amount of people that uh, make doll clothing and um, dollhouse things in period pieces. And sure. So, you know, okay. but I have a very talented customer base. Well, we'll recap here. Your store is on Etsy and it's called Dodd Oddity. And your book is called Fabric Wars, Tales of the Hunt for Vintage Fabric. Do you, it, do you have a different title for Fabric Wars 2 or? Um, I haven't gotten that far yet. Okay. I might come up with, you know, more. It, it could be something as simple as more tales. You know, but I don't, <laughs> I've only gotten as far as Fabric Wars 2. And I'm curious to see what kind of uh, painting my friend comes up with for the next cover. You know, sure. So she, she knows me quite well. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I will put links to everything in the show notes so that if people want to order your book or order some fabric, they'll know where to go. Yes, absolutely. I mean, literally you can find it. it it's on eBay. It's on Etsy. It's on Amazon. I Google fabric wars and it pops up for stores that I didn't even know were selling it. So, you know, it's out there. Uh, if you, if, if they do buy it from Etsy, I am able to sign it. Oh, that's wonderful. So, okay. Because so, it comes directly from me. Right. And they make great gifts for that hard to buy person that has more fabric than they know what to do with. There you go. Um, yeah. So I've got some engagements coming up with some more quilt gifts. I have some book signings coming up. So we'll see. Wonderful. Well, this has been a great discussion. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate you reaching out. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I'm looking forward to Fabric Wars 2, and I will definitely have Kira back on when that volume comes out. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast, so I'll mention it now. I owe my listeners a huge apology. Um, I was unaware until someone brought it to my attention a few days ago that the commenting feature on the podcast website is not working. This person said she tried to leave a comment and when she clicked on the leave a comment link, nothing happened. So I immediately went and looked to see if I could figure out what was going on. I have built all of my websites in Squarespace. I've been with Squarespace for probably over 10 years, all the way back to Squarespace 5 and I've built enough websites that I am a member of the professional circle. Um, even though I don't do this, professionally, um, but I am fairly well acquainted with how Squarespace works. So I went and looked at my settings and under the blog and commenting settings, there are a couple of toggle switches. And one of them is to enable commenting globally. And I had that one clicked to allow that. But a little bit further down, there's a toggle switch for um, allow anonymous commenting. And I did not have that one enabled because I'm of the opinion that if you're going to leave a comment positively or negatively, um, do it so that you can be identified in some way, shape or form and don't be a coward. So I didn't allow anonymous commenting. Well, apparently after talking to tech support at Squarespace, Global commenting only works if you allow anonymous commenting. And so I responded back and I said, that makes no sense. Why have anonymous commenting as an option you can turn on or off if it only works if it's on? 
So they said that they would pass that along to their developers and I enabled it. So comment, and then I went and tested it. So commenting is working on the website. A thousand apologies if you got frustrated trying to leave a comment and I'm over here wondering why my audience is so quiet. Um, but I don't know these things unless someone brings it to my attention. And that particular template that I used for the podcast website is a little different than the one I use for my blog. And so I think that may have had something to do with it as well. But in any case, if you want to leave a comment, you're welcome to do so over at the podcast website. The podcast website is thestraightstitchpodcast.com. My website is janetzabo.com, and that's where I keep my blog. You can also leave a comment um, or leave a review on Apple iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. I would really appreciate that. I got another review last week, so thank you for that. And any feedback that you want to give me, um, if you don't want to send it, if you don't want to comment publicly, you can send it via email to Janet at JanetZabo.com. And I will get it that way. I do try to respond to all the emails and I've gotten a few. So thank you for the feedback. As of right now, I am planning to post a podcast episode next Tuesday. I'll be traveling, but I'm, I can schedule it so that it posts even if I'm not at home. Um, so I'm going to try to do that. There may not be a podcast the week after. It just depends on what my traveling schedule is getting home from Seattle to Montana. Uh, but definitely after So Expo, there will be a recap of all of my adventures at So Expo. And also I've already started making some contacts of people to talk to at So Expo who may be podcast interview guests in the coming months. So watch for those episodes as well. So until our next episode, I hope you have a great week and you get to go sew something.